Hello everyone and welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast. This is Season 4. Thank you all so much for downloading the podcast today. Wherever you are right now in the world listening, my name is Robbie Cox. Now what a massive few weeks it's been on the podcast with special guests galore from all over the world. But before we get to the interview, excited to announce a brand new podcast show will be premiering Wednesday, October 6th called the Shannon Rollison Podcast. Now this one's for all the coaches out there and the star of the podcast is none other than the Olympic and World Championship winning coach himself, Mr. Reverse Periodization, Shannon Rollison. Each week, Shannon and I will go through a subject of choice and he'll give us his stories and insights behind some of Australian sporting folklore, starting with episode number one, the 2004 Athens Olympics. It's a swimming podcast like no other out there, and I cannot wait for you all to wrap your ears around it when it premieres on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Wednesday, the 6th of October. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Joining me today on the show from across the ditch is one of New Zealand swimming's top coaches. He is the head coach of Capital Swim Club, has had a very impressive career thus far, mentoring athletes like Kiwi superstar Mr. Lewis Clairbert to World Championship medals, Olympic finals. Uh, it's a massive welcome to Off the Block Swimming podcast to Mr. Gary Hollywood. Gary, how are you going, mate? Good, Robbie. Nice to see you, mate. Yeah, mate, it's good to see you too. I guess, um, you know, we've got a lot in common at the moment, have both been in lockdown and just looking for ways to to pass the time and keep our brains ticking over. How have you been going? Yeah, I've been doing good. Um, I know the last lockdown I felt like I had to work 24 hours 7 and keep the kids entertained and stay in contact. And speaking to some of my Australian counterparts and Americans, they used it for more kind of education opportunities and so I'm, I'm taking that approach at the moment you know I'm just um, putting some time into myself at the moment. Wait it's a hard balance to strike as a coach through lockdown isn't it I know even just for myself because you you know you want to keep them engaged you want to keep them you know seeing each other and being around the team but at the same time they don't want to see your your head on zoom all the time because they've been doing that for school for about six hours so the last thing they want is another computer screen. Yeah, mate, I've got a nine-year-old son, so I've been through it with him. And I know the last lockdown, we'd, we'd done all the school stuff and we had a structured day. Um, and um, I just said this time to the club, we're going to keep it fairly un unstructured. You know, we'll keep in contact. People can contact me if they want to. But I think people know how to keep fit and exercise. They can get out for walks. We were doing 10Ks a day and he's nine, so... Um, we've found that um, keeping the music tuition going with the violin, the piano through Zoom, that's been good. A bit of maths and then lots of fresh air. 
You were talking there before about the changing tax this time for your swimmers. What have you been getting them to learn? Well, it's um, it's more me at the moment, and um, I'm slowly passing it on to them. I've spoke to Lewis's um, psychologist, Natalie Hogg, and I, I just said that um, I'm like a man that's just found God. I just want to tell everyone what I've discovered, you know, so I have to be careful not to get too carried away. I've started to expose some of the swimmers to um, some, some mindset techniques and um, a, a theory called polyvagal by Stephen Porges, but um, I have to be mindful that I've gone through a lifetime to find clarity in this information, and, and these kids are still at school, so they haven't the background or experiences that I had. I've, I've had to be able to fully grasp it instantly, and so I'm having. I'm, I'm going to have to be mindful as to how I structure and 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 kind of educate them along those lines. Well, mate, you've got the floor here on the podcast to uh, enlighten us about uh, polyvagal. Talk to me about it because I was going to mention it, uh, um, you know, a little bit later in the podcast, but you brought it up now, so let's get let's get into it. Talk to me about it because I'm intrigued. I, like I said to you even before we started, I didn't want to come across as I uh, was a pretender, like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. I thought, no, it's better to go in, um, you know, ears open as the listeners are. Talk to me about it and, and, you know, what are you enjoying about it? And you said there your eyes are wide open now. It's like you've, you've found God. Talk to me about that. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people have been focusing, focusing on the physicalities of training. And, um, you know, I've, like I said earlier at the ASCA conferences years ago, you know, people were saying the future is training the brain, but I'm not sure people really understood how to do that. Um, and obviously, as coaches, we're always trying to improve ourselves because the better we are, the better we can coach and the better our athletes can be. Um, so the, the polyvagal was quite um, an eye-opener for me because really I've been on this journey of self-discovery since the first COVID lockdowns um, where I started some meditation and through that meditation, it kind of um, brings up all sorts of, of, of feelings and thoughts. Um, and, and when I say feelings and thoughts, you aren't, you're wondering where the heck these are coming from. And they're not, they're not thoughts, they're tangible thoughts, but you know there's, there's something kind of being disturbed inside, you know. So um, when I was in MIQ after Tokyo, um, I signed up for some of the High Performance Sport New Zealand mindful sessions. And um, we got sent some material afterwards. And one video was by Stephen Porges talking about polyvagal. And it was like a light switch went on in my head because I've always struggled. When people say, you know, we have to be kind to each other and we have to first and foremost be kind to ourselves, I used to say, how the hell can you be kind to yourself you know what what does that mean you know i just didn't didn't understand it but then when i listened to stephen porges he, he says the mistake people make when they look at each other is they think they're looking at one entity and actually we're two entities you know we're 75 percent of us are in the the the, the the lizard part of our brain you know the sum total of all our life's experiences and uh, the front part is 25%, which is our intellectual brain. 
And we all know that um, we have instances where we might meet someone and take an instant like to them, an instant dislike to them. Someone might say something to us quite maybe harmless, but we might, our body might react negatively to it, you know, we might mm. get, a, a, you know, that negative feeling. Um, and that's, that's those feelings and behaviors you can't control because that's coming from your lizard brain. So an example I gave the kids was is that um, my son does horse riding and he's got a German instructor and she's really hard on him. And um, if I'd let him quit, he'd have quit by now. But I said, you know, she really cares and loves you. You know, she's she just um, sees something in you. So she's she's getting on onto you. She's not just ignoring you. I said, so you have to just deal with it. But uh, I says, when he's 21, he could be in a dairy buying something and he'll hear some girl speak in a, in a German accent. And his body, I said, might react to that because he'll have the thoughts back when he was nine, nine or eight, when yeah. uh, he had this German riding coach that was always on his back. I said, well, that's polyvagal, where he doesn't have any control over that reaction. That's part of his life experiences. And so his intellectual brain will say to him, don't be silly. We, I shouldn't be feeling or reacting this way because that's not my riding coach. You know, I'm, I'm 21, and that's just a, a German backpacker, you know, <laughs> buying a snicker. Yeah. <laughs> so then, yeah. So it's similar for coaches, and I think this is going to be a – great help to coaches as well as swimmers and it's something I'd like to help young coaches with is that you know a lot of young coaches I think the, the young fella USC got himself into trouble coaching by kicking a water bottle or something that hit the swimmer in the head but that's that's probably his lizard brain reaction to, to a situation perhaps maybe it felt disrespected and that hit a nerve and he had no control actually over that that behavior Mm. Or you have coaches that perhaps um, have a chair or president of a board whom they just don't get along with for some reason, you know. And, um, you know, so the, the, there's, there's things you can do, like instead of taking a, a call from, from, from that president or chair, you know, you ask them to put it in an email to you what it is, the bullet points that they, they want to talk to you about. And then you read it. And then you sit on it for two days because the instant reaction to that email will be from your lizard brain, which you'll have no control over. Mm -hmm. But if you give it a, a couple of days, your intellectual brain has time then to process it. And then you can go back to that chair or present and have a very productive um, interaction. Whereas if you're face to face or on the phone, your body language or the tone of your voice is going to show the other person that um, you're behaving in a negative way, in a defensive way, and they will respond to you in a defensive way. And that's then the, the relationships break down and often coaches lose their jobs or they move on. It becomes a vicious cycle because they just repeat the same behavior at the next club they go to. Mm. And, and it's the same then with swimmers because I found this generation of swimmer, I felt often more like a counselor than a coach, <laughs> you know, lots of anxiety, um, lots of fear. And, um, and I, I just, sometimes I didn't feel qualified. I thought I need to be a clinical psychologist, 
to yep. um, actually be able to coach these kids. But now I can look at um, these kids and say, that's their polyvagal, that's their lizard brain reacting. And that lizard brain, um, everyone's carrying trauma. Um, so it, the trauma can be um, from when you, it normally stems from when you're young, but you know, it could be that a kid at school bullied you. It could be that uh, your parents were always arguing. It could be you, you went, your parents went through a divorce and people can carry that trauma around with them. And that creates those negative reactions because, you know, a coach might feel that their, their chair reminds them of their mother, say, and maybe they didn't have a good relationship with their mother so that the lizard brain is reacting. And those bodily reactions, you just got no control over. Um, and then you find then a lot of obesity comes out of that because um, if, you, if you're not, if you haven't kind of got in touch with actually who you are, and you don't really understand yourself, then, you know, you can find yourself reacting quite angrily to certain situations. And when you do, and you think about it afterwards, you think, I don't like that about myself. I don't want to behave that way. And so then you can turn to, to food um, to um, stop being angry. And, it, and then that, it becomes a vicious cycle. Mm. So, um when I read about this polyvagal and listened to Dr. Porges, um, it's just a theory that gives you, tells you what you instinctively kind of already knew or know. And so I had a, I, when I was growing up, when I was about four, um, my mother told my father she didn't want me. And um, my father says, don't worry, son, as soon as I find somewhere to live, I'll look after you. And so the person that you expect to love and nurture you was actually, you know, she was a teenage mom and she was rejecting me in the heat of an argument with my father. Mm. Um, and so when, when, um, when I thought about this polyvagal and, and I've, I come back from Tokyo and in four weeks I'd lost eight kilograms because all of a sudden I was, um, I was in touch with actually um, I realized what the trauma was um, that I, you know, it gave me a, an answer to what I already instinctively knew, but had, but, you know, you try to um, think, oh, that's, that happened when I was four, that can't still be bothering me now. But yeah. they say that you're, you can use your intellectual brain and quite easily get through life for 30, 40 years using your intellectual brain and suppressing your lizard brain. Uh, and a lot of people, when they do make have these negative reactions, they don't even uh, they can't even make the connection sometimes back to what happened so, for them to behave that way. Yeah. So I spoke to High Performance New Zealand about all this, and I said, you know, uh, this is very powerful. And when I look at my swimmers, and I can see, you know, I know we've got swimmers whose parents have died of cancer, um, who've Parents have been through divorces. Um, you know, those sorts of traumas, you can see um, maybe they're struggling in their relationships with one or two parents. Um, and I said, you know, 
there is it's no point having a squad full of swimmers and worrying about energy systems and techniques and and all of this and seeing a kid with physical talent thinking you can get them to the Olympics or get them to Queensland States or whatever and get a gold medal um, when you know that um, there's something holding them back and and until you take them I think through a that process where they can get to understand and know themselves and become their best selves, they can't be the best athlete that they potentially could be. Mm. So, you know, you can see athletes that may have a stubborn streak in them. Why is that? You know? So now, you know, looking back, I know I used to kind of, I was always a bit angry towards my mom for, you know, kind of not really having any maternal instincts, but I can, now show her kindness because, you know, what what gave her her life experiences to be who she became, you know. Um, when I get a bit frustrated or angry and I, and I look back and I don't like it, I can forgive myself because I had no control over that. But now, rather than being in a, in amongst the um, the whole the whole emotion, I can instead be an observer. And be curious as to okay, why did I? Why did my body respond to that person in that way? And I can easily say with my swimmers, well, when I spoke to them about that, or when I asked them to do that, why did they behave in that way? Um, and so that's the journey now. I think athletes need to go on, so that um, if we all work to improve ourselves, um, I think the mindfulness. Um, I done a, a, a summit, a five-day summit on Zoom uh, called the Palooza Summit. Five days of some top international speakers talking about mindfulness, mm-hmm. and that's something that's very important in all our lives. And that's that's a that's linked into meditation, and that creates um, a calmer self, um, a more rational self, a less emotional self. And there lies the value of, of meditation for the kids, and it enables them to um, be more mindful about um, the, how they go about their day, how they approach their sport. And I suppose the reason why I decided to coach in the first place was because not because I wanted to coach a gold medal, but because I wanted to help people. Because as an athlete, I felt that sport had been good for me. Um, and so, um, and I think that's that's another fortunate area, that, or another fortunate thing that happened to me was I found my purpose in life very early. I was about 18 when I decided I wanted to be a professional coach, swimming coach. Mm. Um, and I set myself a goal of an Olympic gold medal and a world record just so that I wouldn't have an excuse to quit. You know, if, if it was just simply to go to the Olympics, then having um, come back from Tokyo, I might be tempted to stop there and do something else. Yeah. But I'm only I'm only one third of the way there, so I've still got a lot a lot of work to do. Um, so that's that's it in a nutshell, mm. Robbie. 
But um, it's funny you call it the lizard brain part of your brain. I call that the stupid part of my brain. That's always those, you know, as you and you, you hit the nail on the head, you know, those moments where, you know, you might not be happy at work. One of the bosses is, you know, not giving you what you need. And, you know, you've been coaching for 20 years and they've been, you know, doing that job for, th- you know, three months and they've they've got no idea, but they're telling you. And then you're driving home, you're like, no, I'm going to call them. And that's always that, that stupid part of my brain. I'm like... Just let it go, let it go. So, mate, you know, although, you know, you've got the, the names attached to, to what you just said, I think everybody listening will resonate with what you just said in some way and be able to to take it and, and implement it into their own lives. And I think we're all at the moment, you know, looking for ways. I was talking to Kirsten from Swimnastics. I was talking to you before we started, and, and she's very big into uh, meditation and having time for herself and and. I don't think it's called earthing, but she, she likes to just have, you know, th- two or three days sometimes where she just goes and, you know, sits by the beach or goes into the woods or just away from technology just to, to be with nature. And I think we're all sort of looking at that at the moment, whether we admit it or not. And certainly some of the blokes out there probably, you know, don't like to admit it. I know I'm one of those, you know, I probably wouldn't normally say it. It's only, you know, feeling comfortable with you guys when you start talking about meditation and you know finding that sort of stuff that I think yeah well I've probably been looking for a little bit of that myself it's just managing to find what works for you best isn't it because you know the one rule doesn't work for everyone well um from all my experience like um you know normally before we achieve some of our ultimate goals we hit our our hardest times and and certainly, I've had a lot of ups and downs, you know, um, not at home, but just through work and through, you know, trying to cultivate and relationships, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I, like I went to the doctor and I said, you know, I, I'm not feeling great. And I probably need two or three weeks off work just to think and recompose myself. And he said, yeah, he said, you're not in great shape at the moment. He said, I've got two options for you. He says, medication or meditation. And I said, mate, I'll take the meditation. Mm. So he promoted the Calm app to me. And um, that's been a really useful tool. That really kick-started my meditation. Um, and I used that really to, you know, I've, I've uh, before I left, England to come and work in New Zealand. Um, I, I had a, a really bad bout of depression, and um, I don't think I could have sunk much lower. And so um, I I recognised the signs this time round, and so I thought before I never done anything about it. You know, as a bloke, you try and muscle through it. Yeah. Um, this time I thought, no, I'm going to ask for some help. So the Calm app got me started. And I think there is some just basic techniques where, you know, if you're breathing from your from your navel, you know, if you expand your stomach and breathe in and breathe out, by breathing from your stomach, normally when you get stressed or you're not feeling great, you breathe from your upper body, your chest, and you shallow breathe. And you're telling your body that you're in danger, so you're in that flight and fight or flight mode. Um, but um, if you breathe from the belly, you're telling your body that you're safe. You're telling your body that you know you're you're in a good space. So by doing that and focusing on the breath, 
um, you can um, avoid some of those negative thoughts that, um, you know, all that negative self-talk that you can be going through. Um, and then you become aware sometimes where you naturally start thinking negative again, and then you just come back to the breath. So that way um, I've found it really useful. And I think that's probably a good starting point for everyone. That's, that's the, the kind of place where everyone begins, you know? Mm. Well, yeah, that's, as I said, you know, there's a lot of meditation and there's different apps and things like that. And I was talking to, you know, Kirsten, we were even just talking about whether it's just that 10 minutes in the shower, you know, I'm a dad of a three-year-old and a wife and we're stuck at home in lockdown. So we don't get a lot of time to ourselves to get that meditation for all the listeners out there. You could just imagine me sitting, trying to meditate and then Charlie storming through the door, dad, dad, and throwing a toy at me. So, um, you know, it could just be that. It could just be a walk, you know, just that 30 minute walk where you're listening to, to something, you know, come um, you know, music or whatever it might be and, and just uh, having that time to yourself. Mate, I know I don't have you for a long time, so I want to make sure we, we get to a bit of the Tokyo action as well. We're, we're a couple of months removed from the action over at the Olympic Games. Firstly, congratulations on the team's results over there. What was that experience like for you? Oh, mate, it was amazing. You know, um, I was a bit worried going to Tokyo because um, – Dara Sheridan that works for High Performance Sport New Zealand, he had debriefed the whole of the Irish national Olympic team um, last Olympics. And he said that like 70% of the athletes um, were really in a bad headspace. Um, and he, he needed counselling having listened to so many of the sad stories. Um, so I thought, Oh my God, how am I going to feel after these Olympics? But mm. um I just felt right at home there from, from the get-go. Um, and uh, Rob Waddell, our chef de mission, um, he really created an environment for high performance, you know, and um, the team there uh, just worked really hard to support um, all the coaches and, and athletes. And um, there was nothing that we couldn't get if we needed it. So um, it, it was a real positive experience, you know, Michael Bowl um, was passing me on the pool deck when we were warming up the kids and he looked at me and says, mate, you, you're just like so happy to be here, aren't you? He said, you just feel like you belong here. I says, mate, I just can't get enough of this, you know? So it's been, um, it's been a long time dream and um, I, I finally got there and, and I'm glad it was such a, a great experience. Hmm. Wow, mate, absolutely. And as I said, congratulations, not just for yourself, but for the team. And I'm sure you're aware that, you know, I try and get a lot of the New Zealand athletes on the podcast because I think what you guys are doing over there at the moment um, is is really, really positive and good. And I, I think we're not even scratching the surface of where those results are going to end up. Uh, in the future, I mean, just having a look at what Lewis did, you know, in making two finals. I know, obviously, maybe you guys would have went in with some higher goals in mind, but still, he, he did pretty well. Um, if you look at Erica Fairweather and, you know, what, the, the amazing, you know, swim she had, especially in that 400, I think it was the semi, she went, was it 402 or something like that? And New, right. New Zealand record and everything, you know, she surprised herself. I remember the face on it, just looking up going, did I just do that? Um, even to the point, I think you, you, you guys, sorry, had the four by two women's relay 
um, you know, putting a team together for that, that, you know, that probably looking back hasn't happened, having the depth in the, in the team. So mate, just um, looking forward, you must be pretty excited to, to be a part of that. And again, you know, when you're planning and looking ahead, knowing that there's good things to come still. Yeah, I think um, what was most enjoyable was we were a real team mm. and very supportive of each other. And I think that enabled the results to come out of that. Um, so, um, and it was, um, the kids have worked hard, you know. We've definitely got the talent in New Zealand. I think me coming back from Australia um, just added something to the coaching mix. Uh, Lars Humor coming back from Britain to um, Dunedin to coach Erica, that's brought something back to the coaching mix. So, um it was um, just everything kind of come together at the right time. Mate, what did you learn from your experience over there? Did you? Is there anything you took away that, you know, coming back, you're like, well, you know, that was, although you really enjoyed yourself, no doubt you're, you're a student of the game, so you would have been say, actually, I like that, write that down, or things that you might, it might have even been something just sitting in quarantine on your way back where you had a bit of time to really sort of let it sink in. Yeah, I think my advice to anyone, and, and it's 101 psychology, I know, but again, you know, you can tell a coach, be it before you achieve it. You can tell an athlete, you know, be it before you achieve it. You know, you'd, I'd often say to an athlete, put yourself in Michael Phelps' body and walk around. What does the world look like from his perspective, you know? Um you know, from my perspective, you know, I've always looked up to coaches like Michael Ball, Vince Raleigh, Doug Frost, um, to name but a small few, you know, Greg Troy. You know, you look at these coaches and you want to emulate them. You want to look at what's, what's the secret, you know. And, and I think um, I've certainly learned that um, – you need to be it before you achieve it. I think I was an Olympic coach a long time ago prior to even getting Lewis on the team. Mm. Um, and and, and what, I, what I mean by, by that is that Lewis is the first time I backed myself. Um, and the only reason I backed myself with Lewis was because I had nowhere else to send him. Normally I've had athletes that have went to Florida State um, Auburn, um, they went to high performance centers in Britain because I thought that was the best place for their next step. Mm. And because they went to that next step, then I never took my next step with them. Uh, with Lewis back in 2016, I looked at the high performance center in New Zealand and it was really not going that great. And I didn't feel the coach would be there that long. Um, I didn't want him to go to the States because I don't think the, the Americans don't care about Kiwis swimming at the Olympics. They want it for the NC2As and quite rightly so. Um, so my experience of the likes of Corey Main going to Florida even, you know, he never swam probably the way I would have liked him to have swam. You know, he went down to the 100 where I always felt it was a 200 swimmer. Um, Alex Hancock, when he went to Auburn, he was a he was our next 200 fly Moss Burmester, but they trained him for the 200 free because they needed the four by 200 freestyle relay. Yeah. So I said to Lewis, 
you know, don't go to America. Don't go to the high performance center. I said, I'll always give you my best advice. And then when I thought about it, I went quiet for, you know, for, for what seemed to be a couple of minutes because I suddenly realized what I was going to say to him. And I said to him, mate, I think you need to stay here with me. And if I mess it up, come Tokyo, then you'll still be young enough to go somewhere else. Yeah. And I got 22 senior athletes in three 33 and a third meter lanes. And Lewis is one of those athletes. So that's take some managing, you know, um, I think we were half the number of swimmers, the North shore, and we were two points behind them for top club at opens this year. So, um, I was forced to back myself, and so I was forced to have the confidence to, to take him all the way, not knowing whether I could. So now I'd, I'd say to people, don't be afraid. You know, um, back yourself as long as you've done your homework um, and it's, it's the goal, it's a, your passion, it's what you want to achieve, then, you know, maybe there's no place like home. And so um, I came back thinking, you know, I've, I've, I can do this and I should have probably done it a lot, a lot earlier than now. But um, like I say, I, I never backed myself until I had to. Mm. And so um, that's been quite a, a life experience for me. Um, so, yeah, you've got to I learned you've got to be it before you achieve it. Yeah, no, I like that one, mate. Talk to me about Lewis. I've had him on the podcast a few times. He's a character. He's a, he's a great guy. I, I try and keep in contact with him as much as I can, see how he's going in training. Obviously, he was killing it over there in Tokyo and especially on TikTok. I think he was blowing up with all the videos he was putting <laughs> on and stuff like that. Well, talk, you're the coach. You get to see him day in and day out. What's he like to coach and work with? Oh, mate, um, I'm pretty blessed to have him, you know, Um He's a physical talent and, a, and, he, and he's got his head screwed on too. You know, um, for, for any of the older generation losing hope in the younger generation, I think you only have to look at these guys and you can feel confident that, you know, we're in good hands for this next generation coming through. Um, he's probably, I've only, I probably could count athletes like him that I've coached on one hand. You know, they've, they've all got similar traits. You know, he's never misses a session. Um, he, he works hard, pushes himself. Um, so, and he, he's got an innate feel for the water. Um, and, he, and I always feel he's a big time race. So, you know, the bigger the occasion, the better he goes. He, you know, certainly when he came out for the final at Worlds and he had a bit of swagger, I just laughed. I thought, this guy's going to go well because just of his behavior, you know. And so hopefully after this first experience of the Olympics, the next Olympics, when he stands up in that final, he's going to feel a lot more confident and at home, you know, with, with, with uh, where he's at. Yeah, I was going to say, not just for Lewis, for you as a coach and for the New Zealand swim team as a whole. As I said, Erica, you know, she's still young coming through. Zach Reed's not, you know, he's not old. He's still young coming through. How, um, you know, important was that experience, do you think, in Tokyo? I don't want to use the analogy of rugby league in terms of grand finals. They always say you've got to lose one to win one. Do you think that sort of thing in Tokyo, not that they did bad, I'm not saying they did bad, obviously, they, you know, they did well. But in terms of what you guys are striving for, which is no doubt, and you mentioned it, 
at the beginning now olympic medals and and that sort of olympic success do you think tokyo was a really good experience in terms of letting them understand what that environment was like and now what they need to do to take it to the next level come 2024 um yeah um i do um i suppose um we'd prepared so well doug frost has been mentoring me since 2000 and i think we were so well prepared for tokyo that we could have got a medal um i think that um the one thing that um we didn't probably get right was part of the warm-up preparation just to get those lungs warmed up a bit more for the final mm. um so, because normally he would have, um, he, he splits on that 100 free, was 29-29, but he was splitting 27s on the 200 IM, um, and he could at least, on a, on a good day, he'd have come back low 28, and that would have probably got us into at least bronze medal position. So, um, I, never, I never ever wanted to go there for the experience. Um, I think it's too big an occasion of that. But then I also drew inspiration from the New Zealand rower, Emma Twig. That was her third Olympics before she got a medal. Mm. She got the gold medal. I drew inspiration from the South African um, on that 200 breaststroke, you know, when she didn't um, make the last Olympics. And, it's, and with COVID, you know, it's made it five years for everyone, um, that extra year to get there. And she breaks the world record and yeah. gets the gold medal. So... I think, yes, no experience is ever wasted. Um, it's a shame we, we didn't come away of a medal at Tokyo, but, you know, there's, there's no excuses. You know, we've done the best we could under the, under the circumstances. And, um, and who knows, Paris, you know, I, I, I said to Lewis back in 2019 that I thought 220 Tokyo was going to be the best chance uh, for a medal in the 4IM because Phelps and Lochte would have probably retired by then. Mm -hmm. And obviously, um, unfortunately for Sato, you know, he was knocked out of the final. The Russian guy had COVID. So all the stars were starting to align, you know. I think Paris, that 4IM was going to be a lot more competitive, you know, with those young guys, the Russian, the French guy coming through. There's a lot of good pedigree there. I think Sato, I'm not sure about Higino, but I know Sato's feeling a bit wounded at the moment. And I think because we're only three years away from the next Olympics, um, it'll probably encourage a lot of people to stay in the sport for Paris. Mm. And so I think we're going to see a very different 400 IM in Paris compared to Tokyo. Well, it's been interesting you mentioning Sato there. I've been watching him in the ISL and he's absolutely killing it. So I want to get him on the podcast and, and just ask him, mate, what, it's like night and day watching. You know, you've missed the final at the Olympics and here he is just setting the pool on fire over in, uh, in Italy. So I've got to try, I want to try and get him on and just ask him. I know it probably sounds like a harsh question, but I'll try and, um, you know, make, put it in a, a cuddle as much as I can uh, so it doesn't feel like a, a slap across the face. Uh, mate, again, I, I know we've, I've run out of time, so I want to, before we uh, wrap this up, just talk to me about your swim club, Capital Swim Club, because uh, it's always important we're shining the lights where it needs to be shone and, you know, obviously you're doing great work there, obviously Lewis going to the Olympics, but no doubt there's a lot of work going on with the swim club as well. 
Yeah, we've we've had our challenges because it's very hard. You know, when I went into the capital, it was just it was a swimming club. You know, an age group swimming club. And you know, my attitude has always been: you set up a long term athlete development framework to allow the kids to become the best that they can be. And obviously, Lewis has become this um, great racer um, and Olympian. And so the challenges for the club now is trying to balance itself both as a club with a high-performance program or athlete where others now are wanting to come and join us and, and taste what Lewis has been tasting. So things that um, we've been looking at and challenges that we're faced, because I think Lewis was probably the only club swimmer, the only Olympian in that final that was actually from a club. Um, and, you know, we, like I say, for the last five years, we've been training in three lanes, 33 and a third. Mm. Our key session, like most coaches, Saturday mornings, long course, we get a Saturday morning long course. Um, but leading into the Olympics, we'd have mornings cancelled because of an underwater hockey tournament. So we've had those challenges. And what I'd like to do is to see through just um, talking with the Swimming New Zealand and the council and high performance sport is now that we've, you know, I think he's ranked fifth in the world at the moment. You know, now that we've proven that as a club, we can deliver at the highest level, you know, these kids get a lot out of the journey, even if they don't make it that far. Um, so in today's society, I think having kids in a club aspiring to be great, um, it's good for their mental health. It's good for them in terms of learning how to set goals and lead a healthy lifestyle. Um, I think now we, we need everyone to take a look at this and say, how do we grow this club? How do we make it bigger and better? And so that we're serving more of the community, you know, um, and for that, it's always pool space. You know, we've got yeah. limited pool resources in New Zealand compared to Australia. Um, our 50-meter pool is only 50 meters for six hours a week on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday morning. Mm. You know, so um, we've had Russian families join us and they've said, when is this 50 meters? I says, very rarely. They said, oh, this is just the same as Russia. We thought New Zealand would be better. I says, <laughs> not when it comes to swimming, you know. So I think the thing with swimming too in New Zealand is that we, we're we probably in a better position than Australia in terms of attracting kids into the sport because especially with the males in Australia, what I witnessed was there's a lot of competition for male athletes with the NFL, AFL. In New Zealand, we don't have that. You know, like Lewis is a skinny white guy. You know, he's not going to be an all-black, you know, and so he can't play rugby. Um, what other sports are there for him? You know, there's cricket. Um, but after that, what does he do? You know, rowing? Well, that's limited, you know. Mm. So eight people get in a boat, say. So I think swimming has got a unique place in sport in New Zealand. And um, what I'm hoping to do now is, you know, we've put the horse before the cart. We've we've achieved a lot under less than ideal conditions. And so hopefully now we've proven that we're capable of looking after these athletes. And if we can get more support, then we can have a 
a, a funnel where we're, we've got this conveyor belt of athletes coming through the system and we've got more than one. Mm. You know? So, you know, it's, it's got a great, it's been a great club with a great history. I was head coach of HPK when I first came to New Zealand. And then when I went after, when I was planning coming back from Australia, I thought, but well, I'd only come back to New Zealand if it was coming back to a big club. And Capital was the next club in the North Shore. There were two clubs I would have considered. And so when the Capital Post come up, you know, the 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 the, the jersey, the, the, it's iconic, you know. And I told Gary Hearn, who actually made the club, he invented the club, that I wouldn't change the logo and I'd maintain its history and traditions and just try and create um, a bigger legacy and, and, and continue his legacy. So there's a, there's a lot of history in the club and we've created a lot of history of its own these last five years. And hopefully in the next five to 10 years, we can um, create something really special. I think in New Zealand, we're going to a more regional-based performance structure. And so the Capital City and Capital Swim Club being one of the biggest clubs in the country, you know, we're primed to be one of those regional performance hubs. And I believe that the future for swimming in New Zealand is, you know, not to have a centralised academy where kids can't go to there there because they're at school or university, but that we're regionalised with the, the resources, both coaching and facility, so that we can capture a wider audience. Yeah. It's been, um, I guess, a, a hot debate in terms of swimming across the world. I know certainly here in Australia at times it's been in terms of performance hubs and things like that. And my, my uh, idea has always been, you know, similar to what you're doing with Lewis. If, if you're doing a good job with Lewis, then we need to bring the resources and things to you and ask you how can we help rather than look at Lewis and go, well, all right, we're putting a performance hub over here now. Let's grab Lewis out of there and let's take him over here and grab Erica. And I, I think you're right. That's the best way to sort of um, develop the, you know, the talent pool across the country. And, and you guys are doing a great job of it, mate. So congratulations with everything you're doing. I want to finish very quickly, mate. Uh, just uh, some quick questions that let us know what you, what you like at home, away from the pool. So what's your favourite music? What do you like to listen to? Oh, I've got quite electric taste. So um, a lot of um, Beethoven and Strauss in, in terms of the classical stuff. I like Neil Diamond. I like the I like I like um, the cowboy songs. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a big John Wayne fan. So yeah, um, anything anything that sounds good, really. You know, I've, <laughs> I used to be a big Elvis Presley fan. You know, but I feel I've grown out of that a bit. You get along pretty well with Bob Byman. I know he's uh, very into classical music, and I think he can even, you know, play classical music. And he studied it at college when he was younger too. Um, what about favorite movies, mate? What do you like to watch? Um, yeah, I suppose um, my favorite one is um, my favorite movie that I've watched the most is Miracle. Uh, it's the the ice skating movie where the the the, the American college kids beat the Russians and get the gold medal at the winter Olympics. Yeah. So, uh, uh, miracle is, is probably my, my favorite one. 
Yeah, something about those sporting movies, isn't it? I still can't get past um, Remember the Titans. That's my favourite movie to watch of, of all time. Just jeez me up. Uh, what about favourite books? You Obviously, you're a reader. You've mentioned what you've been doing in your in your downtime. What are your favourite books to read? Um, well, I suppose my my favourite time my favourite book of all time has been uh, by uh, the autobiography of Wilfred Thesiger. He was probably one of the last great British explorers, and he went through Persia and Iraq, and it was something I I was inspired to do. But with uh, the troubles in Iraq and Iran, you, you kind of that one's off the bucket list, you know. Mm. Um, the book I'm reading at the moment is um, entitled Memories or Remembering Jock. Um, Jock Hobbs was um, a great all-black captain, and he was instrumental in getting the World Cup to New Zealand for the Rugby World Cup. Um, and so he, where I live in Silverstream, his family have got a lot of history here, and I just really want wanted to immerse myself in some of the local history. So um, Remembering Jock is my... Um, my book of, of choice at the moment. Yeah, nice. What about hobbies outside of the pool? Yeah, um, I've I, I've always said I've been very lucky that swimming's been my hobby. You know, <laughs> I suppose um, I was a volunteer in Ireland for seven years, and my first job was in the city of Birmingham. Um, we were talking about. Um, uh, your coach in Queensland, um, Barry Prime, yeah, who's from Birmingham. And um, I remember when I got my first pay packet for doing a week's work or a month's work of coaching, I felt embarrassed. Um, and really, it's so it's, it's it's I've never been about the money. It's always been about the the sport and helping people. So um, I count swimming and it's still as a hobby, um, but. If um, if I I suppose walking for me I I live near the Hutt River, and so you know I can walk for ten k and hardly see a soul, and um, I've got a border collie. Um, during lockdown, my son came with me, so I just I, I'm really enjoying my walks and my meditation at the moment. Yeah, nice. Um, two things, just what you said there resonated with me and it reminded me when I first started coaching. So I swam with Alan Thompson, who was the head coach of Australian swimming back yeah, in the day. And I, yeah, and I, I swam with, with Tomo and um, I'd been doing a bit of coaching, just helping, no, actually coaching, just helping on a Friday afternoon. I was like 14. And, um, and yeah, I remember one day I got out of the pool and he brought me over. I thought I was in trouble, to be honest, because he he's still an intim intimidating man. And uh, yeah, he just said, oh, look, uh, you know, wanted to know if you want to do some coaching. I thought, oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, we'll pay you. And I thought, well, joke's on you, mate, because I, I, I thought I was just doing it for free and I was up for that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, mate, it, you know, I 100% agree with you. Um, and I actually thought that was my hobby until I started doing podcasting. And then I realized that, you know, I really enjoy this as well. So, but again, you know, um, definitely I'd be doing it for free. That's always one of my questions to, to coaches. If it became, um, you know, just purely for the passion, you know, like, like, you know, certain, you know, rugby league or AFL or netball coaches do when they're younger, you know, they don't get paid for that. Would you still do it? Would you find a way to supplement your income and work outside of it to still coach? And I think, um, that would weed a few people out to be honest with you, mate. Now, um, talk to me about your favorite quotes. Are you a quote guy? Yes, I, I, um, I just um, 
took off the shelf for the podcast um, Five Ring Fever by Laurie Lawrence. And he signed my book in, I think, 2000. It was published. And the first book I, I bought a book signing in Birmingham, England, and he wrote in it, Persist. And so when times have got tough, I've always opened it at that page and I've looked at that word, simple word, persist. Never mm. give up, you know? Stay true to your goals, stay true to yourself. Um, then I, on the Five Ring Fever book, um, Laurie wrote, the higher the mountain, the better the view. Keep climbing. And um, the Olympics has gave me one hell of a view. And um, it's, it's something, they're the two quotes that I most write in kids' cards, you know, as well as dare to dream. Yeah. Because I think you, any, anybody can achieve anything. It starts with a thought. And if you're emotionally attached to that thought, then it becomes a dream and a passion and then you've got never got an excuse to stop and like i say you normally hit some pretty big brick walls when you're about to achieve your ultimate success and it's the the passion and your dream that will then drive you forward over all the obstacles to get you over the other side you know and um i've heard um, many's a, a great, a greater, greater, more successful people than me say exactly that, you know, um, guy that wrote Star Wars, you know, he, he, he said exactly that. He had six years where I said, what the hell am I doing? This is never going to work, you know, and yeah. then he gets Star Wars, you know, so I, that's the, the goal, the goal has been more than a goal. It's been a dream. And like in Ireland, when I th- I had this epiphany to say I'm going to be a, a professional coach. We didn't have any in Ireland. Mm. There were no professional coach. I had no idea how I was ever going to be a coach to the Olympics. You know, like I was an average swimmer. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't talented. I did swimming. I did athletics. I was a hard worker. But, you know, like Bill Sweetham said to me once, Hollywood, what's the difference between an Englishman and an Irishman? I said, I don't know, Bill. I said, Irishmen can't swim. he wasn't far wrong so you know it's um i think if you've got the desire and the dream and the passion and and uh, that will give you the persistence never to give up and if you never give up then you you will you will achieve your dream Matt, I think that is a perfect way to wrap up today's chat. Thank you very much for all the, the words of wisdom. Um, as I mentioned to you, I've, I've had Lewis on the podcast quite a few times and I thought I've got to, I've got to talk to the man that's been helping mentor this, this crazy bugger. And uh, I'm glad we got you on, mate. And thank you, for, as I said, for all the, the great words of wisdom. Congratulations on, as I said, the, the success you've, you've had over in Tokyo um, and the success you've had with Lewis since going back and, and no doubt um, you're, you know, there's many, many more successes in the future for, for you guys, but also for New Zealand swimming. And I don't just say that. I truly do believe that. I, I think there's enough 
um, you know, passionate, enthusiastic people in the right areas. Now you've got great talent coming through. I've already listed some of the names in this podcast. And I think those uh, pieces of the puzzle are, are certainly starting to all come together. Um, and, and, you know, who knows, 2024 or 2032, mate, Brisbane. Oh, I'm excited for that one as well. But um, thank you very much for coming on. And uh, you know, until we chat again, thanks for coming on Off The Block Stream podcast. My pleasure, Robbie. Thanks for having me. Cheers, buddy. Today's episode of Off The Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you by our good friends at Pro Swim Workouts. If you're loving the podcast at the moment, then why not be a part of the show and join the OTB crew by purchasing our merchandise, the OTB crew original t-shirt. It's as easy as clicking the link tree in the bio, which will then take you directly to our website to purchase your own piece of the podcast. We deliver all over the world, so no matter where you are, you can still be a part of the crew. We have tank tops, socks, hoodies still to come, but why wait? Jump on Instagram page right now. Follow the link tree to our website to purchase your own OTB crew merch today. And speaking of the OTB crew, don't forget to check out our other weekly podcast, the OTB crew podcast, where I'm joined each week by Lani Pallister, Lachlan Carter, and Josh Edward-Smith. We talk a whole lot of swimming. The crew give their own unique insider perspective on what's going on in the world of swimming, as well as special guest Olympians joining the show for some fun. We also talk music, movies, other sports, and generally just have a good laugh. If you're looking for a fresh swimming podcast with a bit of mainstream twist to it, this is definitely the one for you. Join us every Thursday on Spotify and Apple Podcast for all the fun. I just wanna be with you.